This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. What are we discussing today? We are returning to Tales from Jabba's Palace and reading And the Band Played On, The Band's Tale, written by John Gregory Betancourt, edited by Kevin J. Anderson, and published by Band Spectra in January 96. This is John Gregory Betancourt's only Star Wars story. His first published work was a poem called The Argia when he was 15. Interesting. His first novel came out when he was 17. Jealous. It was called The Blind Archer. He and Kevin J. Anderson co-wrote Born of Elven Blood. I'm just making a face. That doesn't sound... It sounds unpleasant. Anyway, which came out in the early 90s, likely leading to his inclusion in this collection. And the band played on tells the story of the band at Jabba's Palace, which consists of Max Rebo, Sias Noodles, and Drupal McCool. This collection came out before the special edition in 97. As a result, the band in this story is not based on that movie. Therefore, Joe Yauza is nowhere to be found. Which makes you so happy. I'm just not a big Joe Yauza fan. I, I prefer the classic Jabba scene and not the big song and dance number. It's not bad, but I just prefer the original as it was. Some parts of the special edition that you liked, that was not one change I liked as much. I could not easily imagine the non-special edition version of that scene. I'm sure I've seen it. We, yeah, we've watched it. But the first one I saw was with Joe Yauza. Little furry dude. Yeah. Screaming into the TV. Screams a lot. Evar Orbus has arrived at Tatooine, and he feels like he's reached the big time. His definition of big time and my definition of big time are two very different things. Clearly he didn't do research about Tatooine. No. Before he got here. A battered old droid carries a crate that says Evar Orbus and its galactic jizz whalers. Any comment? No. Max Rebo is next to Evar and as always, he wants to eat something. He's just a very, very hungry elephant. Uh, I feel that. Yep. Evar says they can eat once they get to the cantina. Ivar wonders where their transport is and calls the cantina. Chalman isn't in, and a Bith answers instead. The Bith says he hasn't heard of them. Ivar says they are the new band, and they are waiting for a transport at landing pad 7. The Bith says a transport will be there soon, after some back and forth and whispering. Did you get uh, suspicious of what was about to happen? No. Sometimes I'm not a suspicious person. Surprising. Max goes to get size noodles and snits. He starts with Sai because he knows it will take longer for her to get ready to go. She's got to get, you know, makeup on and everything, get ready. After telling her that the transport's almost here, he goes to get snits, who has apparently been, there, been with them for about six months. The transport still isn't here, and Sai isn't happy that she was pulled outside for no reason. Four Bith finally show up with an Airbus, and the band gets on. Max is about to ask what kind of food is at the cantina when all of the Bith pull out blasters. Ruh-roh. Ivar doesn't understand. He says they are under contract. One of the Biths says the cantina already has a ban and asks if they'd like to audition for a certain Sarlacc in the Dune Sea instead. It should be noted Ivar is not human. He has tentacles on his face. And apparently one of the tentacles is fake and it shoots fire at the Bith. The Airbus crashes and flips over. Max runs and carries size noodles with Snip following along. Ivar tries to fight, but is shot and killed. After getting away, Sai says they are free of their contract and can do what they want. Snit says he doesn't want to be called Snit anymore. Instead, he whistles his actual name. 
Sai can't say that, so she offers to give him a fabulous name for them to call him. She decides on Droopy McCool, and Droopy is happy with his new name. I like that backstory of Droopy's name. I I don't think I'd ever thought about his name before reading this story. No? No. Like, is it said in the film? Oh, God, no. No. So, yeah, why why would I ever... Because every Star Wars background character has a name in rich history? Yeah, but, like... I guess no offense to the Star Wars background characters. Generally, I don't super care. Like, if they look interesting, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting looking design. And then I move on with my life. Did you think Droopy is an interesting design? I don't remember what he looks like off the top of my head. This dude. He's playing like the clarinet thing almost. Or maybe an oboe. He looks like a Michelin man. With a mushroom on his head? Yeah. No, I don't think that's a cool design. No? No. Sad. <laughs> Sorry, Droopy. Sai says they need to go back to the Airbus and get their equipment. And when they get back, Jawas are already all over it and tells them they can buy their stuff back for 50 credits because Jawa gonna Jawa. After some haggling, they settle on 20. They don't even let the metal cool on this firefight. Yeah. <laughs> They're just like getting right in there. They find a place to stay and Sai says that they need a gig. Max says that they need dinner. I'm on Max's side. I mean, one is a long-term plan, one is a short-term plan. They go in search of food, and Sai decides that Max should be their leader. That way, if something happens, it'll happen to him, and not to her. She's thinking of Ivar's fate. Yep. She hopes they make some money and quickly get off the planet. While Max eats dinner, Sai speaks with Narun Kafas. Apparently, he's a talent scout for one Jabba the Hutt, who the band has not heard of. But they are intrigued by the potential job. And Max loves the food he's eating so much, and he hopes he, he hopes this is the local cuisine, because if it's all like this, he never wants to leave this planet. He must have just the worst taste buds. I just can't imagine that food on Tatooine is good. It's Probably depends on where you're getting it from. All be so dry. Yeah. Dry as a well-done steak served by my father <laughs> right off the barbecue grill. Cuthus says he can set them up with an audition tonight, and Sai tells Max to take the audition, so he does. They are taken to Jabba's palace, and Cuthus tells them to play like their lives depend on it, because they probably do. <laughs> Sai is getting nervous, but Max is happily eating what food is available before they play. They start playing and open with Lopti Neck. Jabba clearly likes the music. After, he offers them a lifetime contract where they can eat as much as they want. Max immediately agrees. Sai is not happy. Even as someone who loves food, I don't think I'd want this contract either. Especially from Jabba. Yeah, it doesn't cover like anything else. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was health insurance. Not that, <laughs> it's Star Wars. I know. Not that there's any kind of actual medical care in Star Wars. Especially in Jabba's generally. palace. Um, but the other thing is just like clothing yourself, maintenance for your equipment. I mean, all three of them wear very little or no clothing as far as I can tell. But, like, they're on Tatooine. The suns will will destroy you. Radiate straight through to your marrow. Sai goes to Cuthus and says she doesn't like the deal. But he says, Max is their leader. That's what she told him. So it's been agreed to. She And so Sai asks if the deal can be renegotiated. He says the last band that tried to renegotiate was dropped into the Rancor Pit. He also points to the Han Wall decoration as an example of what Jabba does to those he doesn't like. <laughs> She's like, oh, okay. What have we gotten into? They are all taken to their rooms. A droid comes to Sai, and it tells her it has a private message for her from Lady Valerian. 
Max, meanwhile, had asked for a room near the kitchens, and after seeing it, he's happy with its location and goes off in search of food. One track mind, that one. Yeah. The Gamorrean asks Droopy if he is a Kittonak. He says yes, and the Gamorrean says that he saw a group of Kittonaks in the deep desert one time. Sure. The first droid is not the last droid to come to Sai. She has had 16 different conversations and been offered 16 different commissions from 16 different parties to spy for them on Jabba. Then Bib Fortuna comes to her. He knows people have been to see her, and he tells her she should expect a couple more. He wants her to take all the jobs offered and report it all back to him. Smart. Time passes. The band has not been playing at Jabba's Palace for a few months, and Max thinks things are going really well. However, as they're playing, their current song is interrupted by the arrival of the bounty hunter Bush with Chewie. That night, Bib tells them to not pack up. They're going to sleep in the throne room. Jabba is planning a party for later that night. A curtain is drawn so that they are hidden with everyone else. Of course, Leia frees Han and the curtain falls. Max actually recognizes Leia, but thought the entire royal family died on Alderaan and is a little confused. I can't believe he paused long enough while eating to take notice of any kind of galactic politics. Or just to be able to recognize a human. Yeah. It feels like a lot of species in Star Wars have trouble differentiating between other species Like species blindness, basically. Yeah. Especially if it's not a species they are super familiar with. Yeah. But maybe he's just super familiar with humans for whatever reason, and that's why he can tell the difference between them and apparently recognizes Leia. Jabba then tells the band to play. And Max thinks that Leia is malnourished and decides he'll give her an extra meal or three to fatten her up properly. The party ends several hours later, and Max gives Leia a pie, which is sweet of him. Yeah. The next day, they load up on the sail barge and go to the Sarlacc pit. Max and Sai watch Leia strangling Jabba. Max says it's murder and wants to stop her, but Sai says no, they'll be free from the contract if Jabba dies. Besides, if not Leia, someone else will kill Jabba. Before Max can decide if he should intervene or not, Jabba dies. Too much indecision. As the barge starts to blow up, the band all jump off. And once they're safely in the sand, Max asks what they will do now. Sai says they'll work for Lady Valerian. Drooby says no. He's going into the desert. He can hear his brothers out there calling him. Okay. I wanted to know a lot more about that plot line. (laughs) Max and Sai are now a duo. Sai says she'll negotiate their next contract. He agrees. He's happy as long as there's plenty to eat. She calls a contact who works for Lady Valerian and asks for a speeder to pick them up. They're asked if they can play tonight, and Sai agrees, as long as they have instruments provided for the two of them. And Max adds, and food as well. Of course. Ending the story. Gotta have a snack before you perform. Right? So what'd you think? I liked it. I had the interesting experience of the certain point of view for Return of the Jedi came out right around when I was supposed to read this and I read the Max Rebo story in that one and I really didn't like it. I like this Max Rebo story a lot more. I don't think either of them is particularly strong, but I think that this one was better. Like... I don't know what it was about that other one that I just did not like, but I, it caused me to put the whole book down. <laughs> I hope you pick it up again soon. And I still haven't picked it up. But, yeah, I don't know. I liked that the band had to kind of, like, pull themselves together after their fearless leader dies and figure out a way to survive and get by and makes mistakes, and then it, they're kind of whittled down to these three and then to two, though I guess at least Droopy didn't die. Thankfully. I mean... He's gonna die. Maybe, maybe not. 
Unless his people are Tuscan Raiders, which, based on the picture you showed me, is physically impossible. Maybe they squeeze the mushroom head under all the... No. no? He's going to die. Okay. What about you? So, this is a stupid little story, but it's one that I just really like for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I relate to Max so much, and just always being on a never-ending quest for food. But I just really like this small adventure of these three weirdos playing music. Yeah, it felt to me like they had a little bit more, like, drive yeah. than some other characters in this book have had. But they also, like, it was almost not quite a full comedy, but a little bit of comedy. Like, things just were kind of happening to them that there was no control over. But, like, they walked into it every time. Like, their leader negotiates a deal with the cantina, and then it turns out that Chalman already has a contract with the Bith, and the Bith are mad about it, and Chalman's not there. So, like, stuff does just happen to them, but then... You know, they take the opportunity to negotiate a new contract. Sai doesn't think about what it will mean to put Max in charge. <laughs> like the thing, like it doesn't just feel like the world is happening around them. It feels like they're making choices that have consequences. Yeah, in a reason. comedic way. Yeah, which is better than the thing that I just said because I really don't enjoy it when that happens. <laughs> One thing that I have to point out that sticks out to me is being very weird in this story are the Bith. I totally get them wanting to protect their job, but in other stories, the Bith never really came off as particularly violent, so it was a little jarring to see them just pull a blaster So bloodthirsty. Like, we'll take you to the Sarlacc. Excuse you? Especially since they were in the Mos Eisley Cantina collection. Yeah. I did not get that vibe. No, not at all. I definitely didn't get the vibe that they cared that much about that job. Yeah. Maybe they've been there for several years at this point and want to protect it. I guess. Like, maybe the gig is better than it used to be. That that was the one thing that kind of stuck, stuck out as being, didn't quite fit, but it it matched the rest of the comedic tone. Like, it was comedic murder, if you will. So, Especially since I'm fairly sure now I can't expect this level of continuity to be observed. But um, in what series did we just read? Hand of Thrawn? Was it? Corellian trilogy? Oh, it was in the Hand of Thrawn duology. Ah, spoilers for the future. <laughs> yeah. The time it... Well, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so at one point in that story, it's a plot point that, like, a Bith weapon is a big deal. And it's a big deal specifically because Bith don't usually make... Like, they're not typically violent. So that really doesn't line up. With yeah. there, but again, how could you possibly expect that level? It's a mi- it, it's a minor ish detail. Yeah, and also I feel like since this is his only Star Wars story, it kind of makes sense that he's gonna not match up as well with as other authors who'd write more in this universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, like he's like, I got this idea, and they were like, sure, great, do it. It's fun. But yeah, I wish I knew. I wish we knew why the Bith cared so much about the Cantina. Because if I remember correctly, they ended up ra- running out of Lady Val's place. Mm-hmm. After the uh, the wedding. They desperately get this job at a cantina just to like make ends meet. But the hope is that they will leave. That they yeah. will get enough money and go. And the main character has their doubts about that actually being achieved. This did feel like there were more Bith than were present in that story. So maybe they've expanded since mm-hmm. then. They've multiplied. Maybe. They've made more Bith. Yeah. Or more Bith have come to join them. Yeah. Yeah, that was strange. I want to know more about Droopy's um, people kin in the desert. Yeah. 
And not that a Gamorrean could necessarily be relied upon to provide more detail. But I, I believe that he feels them out there or hears them out there. I don't know about that. <laughs> One thing I actually did like about the story is Droopy saying, I don't like the name Snit. It doesn't work for me. I want something else. So I, And then he gets a new name. He's like, I like this one much better. I like that. He's McCool. I wondered if he was telling the truth. About? About liking even the second name. Oh. Like, you could get a different vibe from that scene where he tries to tell them his actual name, and they're like, no, no, no. No one's no one can say that. You can and then take he's it like, way. fine, whatever. I'll just take whatever you throw at me. But I like to think he actually likes the name. Who likes to be called Droopy? It's the McCool part. I guess his, if his species all look like that, they all look kind of droopy. Yeah, and he's the cool one. Droopy McCool is such a, like, I don't know, it sounds so late 70s, early 80s, in, in kind of a cringe way. <laughs> yeah, it does, which fits when the movie came out. Yeah, fits with all of the other weird stuff, like jizz whaling. The only thing I had in my notes about this was I put in parentheses, yikes. For the jizz? Yeah. That's fair. Because every time I hear it, I think, yikes, all over again. Like, what was what was he thinking? George? Yeah. It was the 70s, man. Oh, my God. I, I don't think it was, actually, because I he wouldn't have said this is jizz until, you know, the 80s, episode six. Well, the Biff in A New Hope. Oh, you're right. Would he have called it that then? I mean, they're referred to as jizz musicians. I don't know when he actually named it because it's never said in the movies. Okay. But I also know there's, there, there are certain things in the movies that are named that are never said. Like, the word Sith is never heard in the original trilogy, but there's a... I'm not sure if it was, it was the lead scene or just an old script of some of a character actually using the word Sith in A New Hope. Mm. So for something like jizz, I don't know if that was something he had back then or just named it later. I have no idea. Either way, like, why? Why in God's name would you do this to me? <laughs> Specifically. Gross. Now let's check the Hollow Net for messages. So, a couple of tweets to talk about today. First things first on our last episode about Assault at Slonia. <laughs> um, once again, Aaron at the Legends Lounge did a several, uh, several gift reaction to the episode. I encourage everyone to take a look at them. They are quite amusing. The one I wanted to point out, though, because you were so proud of your line... Um, <laughs> I know. At some point in the episode, Crystal says, nobody is above dirt. We were talking about the archaeology thing yeah. and how Drawl don't do digs or anything. So Aaron replied with the gif of the basketball player kind of like shaking his head and then going, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so just, I, <laughs> I loved that. When I listened back to that episode as part of the, you know, quality check process, I heard that line and I was like, that's the best thing I've ever said <laughs> on our podcast. Nobody's above dirt. It's true. And also on that episode, on the tweet they sent out, I included a gift of an otter. Because, <laughs> uh, of course, you did. At Sakura Oni 3 replied back saying, Quorum be like, that's my ex! Referring, <laughs> <laughs> of course, to the date he went on with a Slonian back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Uh, and then finally, uh, Aaron again asked us if we enjoyed the recent season of Ahsoka. So we're going to go into some spoilers. Beep. This is Thomas from the future. We're about to get into some major Ahsoka spoilers. If you've not seen the show and don't want to know anything about it, please jump ahead to the 3940 mark. Well, I'll let you start. What did you think of Ahsoka? Wow, that's so gracious of you. <laughs> Thank you for letting me go first and getting all the bad air out of the room. 
<laughs> I have issues, and some of my issues are actually very similar to yours. I, the more I sit on it, the more I'm like, I didn't like it. It's not that I hated it. I think the word you used was disappointed. I was disappointed. Because I, I think more than any of the other Disney Plus shows, this was something that I had really looked forward to. Like, the the promise of the Rebels epilogue, because th- that show, for, you know, whatever reason, like, I, I don't think it's a particularly fantastic show, but I personally really loved it. I think it's a fantastic show. I'm just saying, I think I have, like, a little bit of... I, ha- I have an obvious personal bias here. It's just, it was a show, and it, they were characters that really meant a lot to me. And Ahsoka means a lot to me. So the fact that the, those two things were going to be combined, I was like, this is going to be so great. I can't wait to see, like... Basically, I was imagining Sabine and Ahsoka, not like a buddy comedy situation, but kind of like they have these two separate sets of skills, and they go off to finally find Ezra after all this time. And I had too many expectations because that was not what I got. We got that in moments at times. And there were parts of it that I really enjoyed. I don't know. Lately, whenever they bring back Hayden, I I'm like really into it, which is funny. I loved those. Like the, the clone Wars flashback stuff really fed that part of my soul. But I also felt like I don't see how this relates to the situation at hand. I really thought that we actually needed to have seen why Sabine and Ahsoka ever like were training together to begin with, because it's kind of hard for me to swallow that Sabine is training as a Jedi when she has never been force sensitive. I feel like when you have an established character who has never been force sensitive and her and Ahsoka have barely ever breathed the same air as each other in rebels. Like I needed it. I needed a better foundation for that relationship to make it matter to me. And since that relationship was so core and central to all of those episodes, it just, it all felt really flat. And then Thrawn was a mixed bag for me too, because I think that voice wise, perfect. He's perfect. He's exactly what, what I hear and what I imagine and all of that. But I think his posture and his mannerisms needed a little bit more work. And so usually things were fine for me if he was being viewed from like about the chest up in limited shots and he wasn't supposed to be doing a lot of emoting. I know that Thrawn doesn't emote very much regardless, but I think there's this very subtle mannerism thing that you need to capture with him. And he did it. I think he did it a couple of times very well. A couple of times he did, but there were other times where I was just like, the, the thing that I'm hearing and the thing that I'm seeing are so like, they're so disconnected from each other. Basically. The other thing I realized like really late in the game, I think it was after the final episode was that in rebels, Thrawn doesn't have black hair even though he's always described and he's always portrayed on like the new covers of the various Thrawn books as having that, you know, dark glistening blue, black hair or whatever. (laughs) But in rebels, he has a lighter, it's like very blue as opposed to being black. And so I found whatever wig they put (laughs) on Lars Mikkelsen to be very off putting, for multiple reasons. It's a really stark contrast to his skin, the skin tone that they set him up with. And it's so far back on his head. Like it looks like Thrawn has a really receding hairline at this point, which like maybe that's what they were going for, but he's been there for a while. He's getting older. 
I don't know. How did chess age? We don't know. Like, but there was something about it that every time I looked at Thrawn, I was like, I wish they had spent less money on de-aging Hayden Christensen and a little bit more money on the like practical and CG effects for the Thrawn visuals. Okay. Have I said all of the things that upset me? I think so. Honestly, probably not, because the longer I think about it, the more Fair. I get. But the things I really liked, Ezra was perfect. I think the entire cast was perfect. The entire cast was great. Sabine was also great. I think I, I like kind of soured on both her and Ahsoka just because as the show went on, I felt like they were behaving in ways that I don't believe they would behave. And so I had a heart like visually. I thought that they were cast perfectly. There's this one scene. I want to say it's like the episode after Ezra is located. So the seventh episode. Yeah. And they're going along in the little snail people Mm -hmm. camper. And Ezra is trying sort of to get around and to the bottom of the subject of how Sabine came to be here and why she's being so coy about it. And like, I don't think this is the actress's fault, but the script is not giving her a lot to work with because she does the same like glance over at Ezra, glance up, look down, sigh, kind of like circle instead of saying anything, which felt super off to me. Like that didn't, it didn't feel like a correct interpretation of their, their relationship and their bond. But Ezra was perfect. (laughs) He was great. I thought the night sisters were super cool and creepy. Um, I wanted to know a lot more about that whole situation. I thought that Balin and Shin were really interesting, but it's heartbreaking that we didn't really get to get to the bottom of them. And now Ray Stevenson has passed away. And I thought that like, he was so fun. Like he was fantastic. I'm not as big of a a fan of his as uh, Alex from star Wars explained is like, he was so into Balin, but I thought he was a good and interesting character. I love that he used the cross guard stance with his lightsaber. I love that he was like this big, like, brawler kind of dude and the things that he said about the jedi order were delicious like i missed the idea of it but the reality like <laughs> i i don't know i've i've seen that that gif like played over so many things that i really identify with like it, it's just great yeah okay well you've let me talk for so long which is so generous of you <laughs> What did you think? So I I really liked it. I more than you do, I think it's fair to say. I have a lot of the same criticisms as you do, but some of them don't bother they don't bother me as much as they bother you. Mm-hmm. Which happens. Almost always. Yes. Almost so always the, it the, happens. But I had a realization someone actually pointed this out online and I figured something out based on what they said. Sabine being Ahsoka's apprentice reminded them a lot of Ahsoka being Anakin's apprentice. And I kind of thought about it, thought about it. I was like, you know what? Whoever had this, they're right. It is like that. It's just, there's no canonical backstory for this. It just was kind of dropped into the middle of the story. Boom, someone is so-and-so's apprentice. And the reason why this doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you is because there, for Ahsoka, are how many books written in the Clone Wars era where it she doesn't exist? Where Anakin doesn't have a Padawan, yeah. There is no pod, Padawan. There is no mention of one. There's no want of one. But this was your mistake, Tom. 
because nothing that is not on a screen is canon to George. I know. But so because I had you read had all taken those, it in regardless of what was canon. <laughs> I had read all those stories, most of them multiple times, and there was no Ahsoka. She didn't exist. Yeah. And since then, Ahsoka Tano has become one of my favorite characters and gave me some of my favorite stories in Star Wars. So because I've already been through a situation like this, I'm more, I think, willing to go along with this kind of thing being dropped in the middle of the story that doesn't have any backing to it because Ahsoka's turned out so wonderfully for me. See, to me, the two situations don't feel the same. Well, to me, Ahsoka's feels worse. I know. Because there are things that, it, for Sabine and Ahsoka, it's, there's nothing been said. For Ahsoka and Anakin, there are outright contradictions. Only if... If you read the books, which... Only if you go against George's hierarchy of canon. Yes. <laughs> but even <laughs> Filoni was like, Anakin doesn't have, a, doesn't have a power. I know, I know. But to me, like, obviously, it's partially my personal experience, right? Like, to me, Sabine has this whole rich backstory, and so does Ahsoka. And they're very separate, and Sabine, it, Sabine trained with Kanan and Ezra to wield the Darksaber, and nobody ever thought, oh, maybe she's Force-sensitive. No one ever said that. Yeah, like, I actually, I have a really hard time believing that Kanan didn't sense it. F- for me, I would have preferred her to be not Force-sensitive. I think the idea of a Jedi who too. doesn't use the Force, I think, is much more interesting than what they did. And I sort of thought maybe we were moving in that direction. That was when I was still thinking, like, that could be interesting. And... Um, that could be just an interesting turn of events. But that was the other thing that was such a letdown was that she finally does use the force and we don't get just any bones about it. Like she just does it. There's not a real reason that she does it. Like, yes, her life is being threatened, but like her life's been threatened a billion times. She's a Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I would for her not to have the force. But I, I think there were seeds for her to train with Ahsoka in Rebels, because you just mentioned her training with Kane and, and Ezra. And I, I think what the series needed to be is longer. Because eight episodes... Man, that's brief. It's not enough. Even Andor's... For something this complicated, where you're bringing in Thrawn, Night Sisters, A new Ahsoka, galaxy! Sabine, a new galaxy. Like, Balin, Shen... Yeah, it's not Space enough. whales. Like, Andor's 12. <laughs> New Republic politics for some freaking reason. That was the other part I didn't care for. <laughs> a- Andor's 12 to me was not enough, but that's the longest we've gotten so far. Oh, course. I thought it was perfect. I wouldn't have <laughs> more, but I always want more. Like, if this was a longer series and we had, then they'd actually devote time to setting up Sabine and Ahsoka, or we saw them, some of their initial time together, I would have it would have worked a lot better for me. Yeah. Because I think there's a, a very clear path from Rebels to her working with Ahsoka because of that time with the Darksaber. But we don't see it. Yeah. And I hope someday we get, you know, a comic, a book, a television show, something that does explore that time. But for now, we don't have it. And I agree with about Thrawn. The voice is perfect. The look needs some work, but at this point, it's not online. It's not just me. Ahsoka's, every time in live action, has gotten better with how she looks. I'm hoping the same yeah. thing happens with Thrawn. Yeah. Like they, will, they will learn and improve each time he shows up. That's my hope. And just because some people are on the internet are really garbage people, I feel like I have to say this. It's not a problem I have with the actor's body type. It's the slouching. It's the posture. It's the slouching. I don't care that Thrawn doesn't look like as trim as he did 10 years ago. That doesn't matter to me. It's the mannerisms and the posture. Who knows what kind of diet he's had on this planet for 10 years? I know. Like, are they just both riding and eating howlers? Who knows? Like, red meat diet. (laughs) Very bad for you. 
<laughs> I, I do love a lot of the idea. Like, I love the idea of this new galaxy. Because, yes, we've seen a new galaxy in the EU with the New Day Order, but we don't really... And the idea that the Night Sisters came from there? that. That's what I love the most about it. That's I want fascinating. stories, not just about Thrawn's time on Peridio that decade. I want to explore this new galaxy in the way that we've explored the Star Wars galaxy itself, the main one. I want books, I want comics, I want TV shows, I want movies, I want everything. I want video games. I want to explore this, a brand new untapped area. It's To me, that's the most exciting thing about this series, is this new galaxy we know nothing about. Yeah, that is cool. And I thought the casting was on point. Ezra was just wonderful. Oh, I loved him. Hu Yang was a joy to watch. Yeah. David Tennant was great in that role. The CG versus puppetry in him, I couldn't tell when it was one versus the other, ever, I think. I love Balin. I love Shin. I'm so sad about Ray Stevenson. He was great. His story has to continue. Yeah. I, I think it needs to be recast eventually yeah. down the line. Yeah. You can't let that Mortis go. Yeah. That was the other part that was interesting, that there, there's clearly the father and the son, and the daughter has been chipped away. I love the Mortis arc, even though it's so like you, I think listening to my opinions on this show, people might think that I, I wouldn't like the Mortis arc. You'd love the Mortis arc. But yeah, I love the Mortis arc. When we first watched it, we're like, oh, this is awesome. I love the idea of this like horrible, I mean, it's because it's a horrible place, right? And I love, I love a horrible horrible place. place. Yeah. And, and like Qui-Gon talks to Obi-Wan and old Ahsoka talks to young Ahsoka and, Anakin's mother talks to him and it's all like, is this real? Is it fake? We see Vader. Uh, It's good. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like, I I really wonder about them being (laughs) depicted in this galaxy. Yeah. And one final thing I have to say, one thing I really enjoy about the series, as the type of fan who consumes all the books, all the shows, all the comics, eventually, once they're Marvel Limited. (laughs) Just everything I can Star Wars. I loved how much this referenced the wider Star Wars universe in a way that no other live-action property has. Like, there were references to Rebels, of course, to Clone Wars, to several books. Throne Alliance has got a couple of big, not direct mentions, but references, certainly. Delightful. That, just, that might be my least favorite Zon book of the Disney era, Second least, but I still just love that it was referenced. But there are scenes from that book that I really like. Yeah, specifically st- the just like Thrawn Anakin slowly Vader. working out, yeah. like, and even though it's one of my least favorite ones that he wrote for under the Disney era, I still really love the book. I know you don't know as much, but I really enjoy that book. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I, I like that this series felt more more for the kind of fan who has actually consumed everything and not just. It's trying to appeal to the like broadest audience. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's usually animation that does that, not live action. So I really appreciate that fact. And let's be honest, listener, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're more like me where you've read and watched most, if not everything. So I'm guessing you probably liked that aspect of it too. Yeah. I have just two more things to say. Hit me. The vibe in rebels is pretty kooky. Yes. It's pretty zany. I wanted Ezra to hit Chopper so hard at the end. Yeah, a lot of the emotional reveals in the show felt very muted, and I felt like Filoni was course-correcting too hard in the opposite direction from from Rebels, which is a kid's show. First season especially. But I wanted it to be... A little kookier at times. 
I wanted it to feel more vibrant. Yeah. Like everybody's emotions like, felt so it, toned if down. Ezra in that Stormtrooper effort had hit Chopper on the head, that would have been fantastic. Yeah. And then my final thing, it's so fitting that this is my final thing because it's like such a pet peeve. It's so stupid to complain about. I do not like the way that the lightsabers looked in the show. <laughs> but the lightsaber combat, I thought, was fantastic. It was good. In particular, there were some early episodes where Ahsoka pulls out her lightsabers and it's a bright, sunny day. Mm. And I thought... The fight on Corellia. Why would you do that? <laughs> it looks bad that way. But also... The core part of the lightsaber is so defined compared to how they look in the films, I think. And the tip of the lightsaber is so round. And I was complaining about this to a friend who hasn't watched the show, and she was like, I bet that's so that it's easier to sell replica lightsabers. I mean, it, it aligns more with what you... Like, it looks like a prop. It looks more like a prop than lightsaber lightsabers and i was like i mean i think that could probably be true i think probably also again the entire budget just went directly into making hayden christensen as unlined in the face as humanly possible and most of it looked really good much better than did obi-wan yeah there were a couple of shots that looked odd but for the most part he looked really good i think the um smoke haze in the clone wars flashbacks helped a lot (sighs) I know I sort of mentioned this before, but I really loved those flashbacks. I loved seeing him in that particular armor. Yeah, it was great from Clone, Clone Wars, Wars armor finally. Because I thought that that look made so much more sense for Jedi during the Clone Wars than you know the ridiculous. I mean, not ridiculous, but the robes and the. I also loved seeing the Mandalorian. That was cool. Yeah, that was fun. And the final thing I just want to say, like, like I love the lightsaber fights, and I love that shot. Of Sabine in the middle, flanked by Ezra and Sabine. Sorry, of Ahsoka in the middle, flanked by Ezra and Sabine. I thought that was such a cool shot. And also, zombie troopers. <laughs> zombie troopers. That was my favorite thing, probably. Uh, it did feel like the show sometimes was like, do you, do you like this? I can do this. Or I could do this. Do you like one of those things? Here's the third thing. And I was just like, just, just commit. <laughs> Just commit to something. <laughs> anyway, at least Thrawn's loose in the galaxy again now. That'll be fun, Yay. hopefully. Um, and we also asked Aaron what he thought of the series. And he said he thinks the first two-thirds of the season were really good, but the last two to three episodes were a bit of a letdown. And he actually thinks it's a trend in most Disney Plus shows, if not all of them, for him. Where they do a good job of setting stuff up at the beginning, but not as good with the payoff at the end. Which is actually kind of, for me, the opposite for this series, at least. Um, Because I just, that last episode was so, I had so much fun watching it. It was fun, but for me, it was kind of hollow because I was like, well, they're not, they're not going to wrap this up in a way that satisfies me because it's all building like into this. Eventually to the movie. The Mandoverse thing, which I'm just like, I don't know. I'm over it at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll watch it like, you know, I will, but. I don't know. Maybe at some point I'm going to start drawing the line. Stop watching stuff. Hey, I even got you to watch All Resistance. You did. And that that was hard for both of us because that was not a good show. That one was too much of a kid show. I mean, sorry to anybody who liked that show. My opinion is subjective. <laughs> 
So that's our thoughts on Ahsoka and our thoughts on the band played on. What do you think? That we spend longer on Ahsoka than talking about the actual short story? We might, might be about equal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoilers <laughs> on Ahsoka. Sorry. So next month, we'll be continuing the Corillian trilogy with Choda at Centerpoint, written by Roger McBride Allen. You can look forward to that coming out on November 5th. But before that, we've got a special bonus episode coming out on Halloween. We'll be reading the second Galaxy Fear book, City of the Dead. <laughs> now I'm thinking back to one of Aaron's other GIF reactions where <laughs> it was reacting to you being super excited about the summary of the book and me just being like, that's his eager face. <laughs> it's a SpongeBob GIF. <laughs> That's you in your uh, spooky Halloween voice. You're like very stoked. And I'm just like, Halloween. I don't know. It was 95 it's degrees coming. this past weekend. So it doesn't really feel like Halloween to me. It's almost time. <laughs> thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Chris for calling this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter slash X at tk331podcast. If you like this podcast, tell a friend about it. Tell a family member. Yell about it on your rooftop during the full moon just for fun. When you scare trick-or-treaters, say, boo, listen to TK331. Yeah, I don't think they're our target demographic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know that Do I... Do children listen to podcasts? Are we too old for them? I have no idea. It's so weird because, like, people that I would think would listen to podcasts don't who are older than me. Your dad? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think podcasts are a generational thing. I think they're a, they're a lifestyle thing. <laughs> and uh, we'd also appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast reviewing platform of your choice. And now here it is, your moment of Star Wars. His immense eminence is pleased to grant you a lifetime contract, the droid translated. As you are an Ortolan and know the value of food, he wishes to pay you in that medium. All you and your band can eat in exchange for a lifetime contract. Done, Max cried. He'd never heard of so fine, so magnanimous a deal in his life. He glanced at Sai and was dismayed to find her glaring at him. Jabba spoke again, and the droid said, Keep playing. When Jabba turned away... The crowd around him moved forward, clamoring for attention. Max keyed in the intro to an old Starfarer's song Ivar Orbis had redone for Jizz Whaler orchestration. Jabba's huge tail, Max noticed, twitched now and then, almost in time to the music. But other than that, the hut seemed oblivious to their playing. Never mind, though. Max swelled out his chest. He'd struck a deal any Ortolan would be proud of. All the food he could eat for life. Incredible. They'd never believe his good fortune back home. <laughs>